Yes, it is Monday, January 30. This is the Big Sports Breakfast on Sky Sports Radio and a very good morning to you if you're just tuning in. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. And last night we saw Novak Djokovic at Melbourne Park with his 10th Australian Open crown with a 6-3-7-6-7-6 victory over Stefanos Tsitsipas in the men's singles final. His 22nd Grand Slam title. And uh, the Serb, the 35-year-old, is back to number one in the world after that. Arena Sabalenka won the women's final on Sunday evening over Alina Rybakina in three sets. And Aussies Jason Kubler and Rinki Hijikata followed the Special K's victory last year to win the men's doubles final in straight sets as well. Yesterday in the NBL, the Sydney Kings, they beat South East Melbourne. Uh, the Phoenix 111-106 which ensured they clinched top seed and the best record heading into the playoffs with two games still remaining. It also ensured that uh, the Kings broke their franchise record for aggregate crowds over the course of the season as well as more than 13,000 were there yesterday. And it came after they went south to Tassie and beat the Jack Jumpers 91-77 to on Friday night as well. Great season for the Kings, Clarkie, heading towards the playoffs. Yeah, and get the back crowds. into that, yeah, that winning feel as well. Yeah, the support's been unreal. I think they've had a, a wonderful season. They're in great nick again, and yeah, they'll be confident going into finals now. <laughs> uh, just on the text line, someone tell Mido to look out the window. Possible showers. It's been raining all morning. Work it out, you <laughs> hopeless knob. Uh, thanks for that. No names for that yep, one. Morning. Uh, yeah, look, I just go off the Bureau of Meteorology website, which, you know, they know more than me, so that'll do it. No windows in here as well, is there, boys? Very true. No, that's very true. We are underground. We don't know what happens. We're in the car park. We are in the little <laughs> bunker here. Yeah. 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 Uh, Buzz is coming up shortly. He's spoken to Anthony Griffin. Is a big feature in his article in the Daily Telegraph today, and it seems like uh, Griffin's pretty positive. Everyone's positive, though, aren't they? With no well, you win, want to be no wins and no losses at this you'd, stage you'd, of the you'd season. You want to be extremely positive before a ball has been kicked, Mido. Otherwise, there's no point turning up, is there? It's what I love before round one. Bigger, Just faster, stronger. Everyone's got the previous hope. year. Oh, that's exactly right. Well, last year, most people had the Cowboys doing nothing. And the Cowboys surprised everyone. There's always a team that comes out of the blue and surprises a lot of people. I don't think I can have my, my I don't think I can have the Dragons in the eight this year. Oh, not many will. I'd be surprised if many do. You know, I, I, I think they are in for a tough year. But anyway, it's good that they're very optimistic about how they're going to go. And hopefully they will surprise a lot of people. Morning, Buzz. Yeah, morning, guys. I was over your way yesterday. 5 a.m. start in the shire. Then over to help Ray Thomas out while the great Bulldog is still on leave. I still found time to break a big story, though, the Bulldog. The Bulldog? Oh, what about him, eh? Great story, isn't it, uh, Graham Arnold? Really? Well, Bulldog's been uh, a close friend of Arnie's for a long period of time, and, and while everyone was bailing out on Arnie and questioning his rights to be coaching the Socceroos in the lead-up to the World Cup, uh, Bulldog and Pete, our, our own Robbie Slater stuck solid, and um, Arnie obviously had a chat to Bulldog last night and said the, the new contract's done, it's $6 million, and it's a huge coup for Australian soccer because there are a lot of European clubs um, just like they've been interested in Anne's Postacoglu for some, some period of time. Um, 
But Arnie's staying for a huge boost for the, the local game. I think it's going to be an enormous year for Australian soccer. I'm hanging out for the Women's World Cup, which starts mid-year. I mentioned on, on radio yesterday that um, it's so big. The opening game of the tournament featuring Sammy Kerr and the, and the Matildas was booked and sold out at Allianz Stadium in an hour. So they've had to move it to Acor to get another 43,000 people in. So it's a really big year for soccer. And Arnie signing on that dotted line again, great story, Bulldog. Yeah, no, he uh, deserves that, Arnie, from what he did with the Socceroos at the World Cup. I thought he was tremendous. Um, Hey, guys, just before we get into the footy, I heard you talking about the Big Bash and that debacle the other night with the Thunder being kicked out of the tournament at 1 for 50. Clarky. There has to be a rule, and, and you know, we, we highlight problems. We've got to have solutions. I, I think the highest-ranked team, it was a draw, wasn't it? Because the game didn't go on. The highest-ranked team should go through, and Thunder were the highest-ranked team, correct? But did, they, did they play six overs? I didn't watch the game. Did they oh, get through, if they got through the sixth over, they're saying, no, yeah. Duckworth-Lewis comes into play because you need six overs to make a game, and yeah. Thunder loses the game on Duckworth-Lewis. Yeah, but, but I'm saying, and I agree with you, which is rare, um, that um, Duckworth-Lewis is not yeah. suitable for, for, for big bass cricket. Yeah, and the team that was better throughout the tournament yeah. and finished higher on the ladder, highest rank, could yeah. go through. Yeah. I think they, they probably need it to go, even if they do keep the current Duckworth-Lewis system, which I don't believe is right for T20, it, it, they, they've got to probably go to 10 overs to constitute a game. I don't think they can call it yeah. at six overs. With one wicket down for 52 runs yeah. in six overs. And a guy like David Warner. Mate, you can still make... Still you, 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 if you were batting first... You could still make 220 runs. Mm. Like, there's so yeah, yeah. much time in that game left with nine wickets in it. Different if they're five wickets down or six wickets down. But at one wicket down, mm. yeah. they, the guys are just starting. Yeah, we had Davey Warner on the show yesterday, and he, he wasn't happy, but, mm. you know. I uh, guess they're the rules, and you've got to. Yeah, you know, for now they I, are. I, yeah. think, I think they've got to look at it, though, for sure. I just don't think it's. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. think that system's probably not. Especially not fine. Yeah. Yeah, 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 ridiculous. Anyway. What were you saying, Lodge? Uh No, I was just interested to read your article in the paper today about Anthony Griffin and the and the Dragons. But one of the things that stood out to me uh, in that article was how confident he was that the Dragons would make the eight, but also the fact that they they're about five players short of filling their thirty man roster. The roster is a really, really interesting story, Lodge and and guys. Um, all our listeners know you need a 30-man roster and um, most clubs have signed 28, 29 by now. Um, some, some, I know Melbourne Storm have, have closed their books. They've signed their 30. The Dragons have signed 27, but included in those uh, positions are Cody Ramsey, who's been ruled out for the season, and Junior Amoni, who is facing very serious assault charges and... His availability will be determined by the courts over the next couple of months. And I must say he has pleaded not guilty to those charges. Mm. So as it stands now, the Dragons need five new players to fill that 30-man squad. Now, with Amoni gone, Jaden Sullivan will play 5'8", and Tyrell Sloan will play fullback for Cody Ramsey. But without these five players, there are... 
serious questions about their depth. And you look around and there's not, at this stage, signing five players a month out. I think there's 31 sleeps to go to the comp starts. It's Look, there will be movement during the trials. There'll be fallouts, you know, roster tightening, and you, you can see all the action at Canterbury at, at the moment with players being moved and players being signed. But, um, look, they've got plenty of cash. It's a good position to be in. But, you know, the Dolphins are competing with them. They've got four spots open. So... Anthony Griffin certainly got to get that roster sorted ASAP. Buzz, do you think the Dragons board have the confidence that Griffin has? Because to me, it seems just in already what we're we're reading and hearing, and as Loz mentioned, every team's got to be positive and confident now leading into the yeah. season. But how many games are they going to give him the board? Well, if I things don't go to book. plan. Yeah, I met Hawk out at West Pennant Hills, uh, late last week and I put it to him I said mate you got eight games and he said no I've only got 24 games that's how long this is look he's, he's really confident and look if the board was confident in Hook they would have extended him wouldn't they but he's starting the season uh, well and truly under the pump same as Adam O'Brien in Newcastle Justin Holbrook uh, Kevy Walters and you, you look at the coaches, we lose three or four coaches every year. And um, he is under enormous pressure, like the guys I just mentioned. The interesting uh, part of this story, I found, he, he was really confident that there was nothing wrong with the culture, because I put it to him. Last year, and Clark, you and me had a blue about this at the end, about the um, Allen Border medal. Mm. Last year... You speak to Davey about three, that yesterday? Sorry? You speak to Davey Warner about that yesterday? I didn't, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. Well, I only had 15 minutes. <laughs> That's a lifetime on radio. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send him a text. Yeah. The the the, the, the Border Medal is being held at, in the Winks uh, room at... Um, at uh, Ramwick. Ramwick. Yep. Just like the big sports breakfast in February. I'm looking forward to having a glass of wine with you there, Clark. Mm, me at too. The, at the, break, at the uh, lunch. lunch. Um, your seat's look, right beside three... Sorry, mate. I hope you're sitting right beside me. Well, let's organise that, okay. Clark. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah. I'll speak to you. We're well, going on a date to together. To... No, not a date. No, I'd love you to do a selfie and put it out to your million followers. Yeah, Buzz leave that one with me. Buzz and Clarky. Leave that one with me. I'm sure I can arrange that, Buzz, for you. If I sat next to you and it was a long lunch, I reckon we'd need security, not a phone. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> hey, um, seriously, though, only three players turned up to their presentation, not Ben Hunt, Zach Lomax and Michael Molo. The interesting thing Hook said was he organised a Christmas party in December and it was at a South Coast surf club. He told all the players and, you know what, 150 turned up. Every single player, every wife, every partner, every child, or the board, or the senior management. And he said he walked out of that function convinced that what happened at the presentation night was just, you know, all these players were unavailable it was five weeks after their season, basically what you've been saying, Clarky, mm. and that he does have a rock solid group there that oh, no. let their hair down that night. And there was a real feeling of camaraderie, togetherness, great club spirit. 
Love and it. he thinks he's really, really confident they're going to go places. Yeah, well, that, that's good that's because awesome. I, I remember yeah. reading comments, and, and I, I can't remember which players actually said it, but there was a number of them said, "Oh, we're buying into what Hook wants us to do this year." Mm. And I felt that was a sort of a strange comment to say. It was like, "Well, what he'd been telling us in the past, we just didn't yeah. believe." Mm. Yeah, it was like, and mm. look, there was all that talk that he'd lost um, the the younger guys in the playing group, uh, Sloan and and Sullivan, who. At one stage, we're looking for releases, and George Burgess had a decent old crack when he left. But um, Hook said in this interview that his coaching wasn't the reason why George, who'd had hip surgery, uh, didn't have the comeback in the NRL that he'd hoped for. But um, look, I'm giving the Dragons a bit of a cheer this year. I think the competition needs a strong St George Illawarra, and they won 12 last year. They lost 12. They win another couple. They make the playoffs. And look. There's a really, really interesting point. Before he got to St George, Illawarra, Hook had made the finals every year at the Broncos and every year at Penrith. So the bloke can coach. Not a bad record. So Uh, we'll wait and see. Tell us, Buzz, about the story you've written in your column in the Telegraph today as well about the Bulldogs. Yeah, look, I fired up the mob on social media last night. I, I don't know if you saw <laughs> well, some of that. I did see a bit of that, yep. Yeah, it was fun and games. Look, this is in no way the criticism of Phil Gould, which some people on Twitter thought it was. This is a story about the long-term financial sustainability of the Canterbury Bulldogs. The reason is every other Sydney-based club in the NRL no longer has takes a grant from their licensed club. They get enough money from the NRL. They generate enough money in sponsorship, gate takings, merchandise, membership to run a self-sufficient business. At the Bulldogs, they are spending so much money that they needed a $5.8 million grant from their licensed club to break square last year. Now, what I'm saying is, you guys are up with these cashless gaming cards that the government are about to introduce. Yep. So what's happening, they're going to be introduced to stop money laundering, to get criminal activity, you know, away from the poker machines. I have spoken to directors at the Bulldogs who tell me this new gameless uh, cashless gaming card could cripple them. That it's not just them, but all the major clubs are really going to feel the pinch. So the point of my story was that the league's club will not be in a position if these cards come in to fund the football club, $5.8 million like they've had to do this year. That's the story. I think they're going to have to and look, Gus has done the best rebuild of any club, hasn't it? They've, they've mm. assembled a wonderful roster for next year, for this year. And they're, they're going to be in the next few years knocking on the door to play finals football. But the club has got to change their business model. You look at Penrith Panthers, and it's easy to talk about them. They've made $16 million profit the last three years. Now, that's without poker machines. The Rabbitohs make a profit. The Roosters, they all make profits without. Canterbury got to do the same. Because this is a... I don't want this to be a quick fix, short-term 
chase for glory. They've, they've, they've got to get their finances sorted. Talking about getting finances sorted then, Buzz, what's the latest with the CBA update? The best news about the CBA update is that Peter Volandis is back at work behind his desk today after a, a well-earned summer holiday. And I'm hoping he can get into a room with Clint Newton. And congratulations to Clint Newton. You see that? He was awarded the Order of Australia Medal last week. Um, I'm hoping they can get into a room together and sort it out. And I'm confident they will. I don't think, as I said last week, it's necessarily about money. It's about conditions. It's about the women's game. And I don't think they're that far off. And um, uh, no one wants to see the players boycott the season launch. No one wants... People want to see the players doing media and promoting the game. Look, there was talk of a strike. There there, There won't be one. They're getting very well paid now, and I just hope they can sort out these last issues. I'm confident by the end of the week, by the time we're talking next Monday, we'll all be done. What's the latest with Mitch Moses, mate, off contract? Have we heard any news on what he's going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we can do there, Clark. We can put the red felt pen through Mitchell Moses, uh, going to the Canterbury Bulldogs. Gus was on Twitter over the weekend. Not that that I'm blocked there, but someone (laughs) sent me the... Well, you know... How many people block you, Buzz, by the way? Sorry? How many people block you? What, a day or ever? (laughs) No, I don't care. (laughs) I know you don't care. Well, I I block more than block me, all right? (laughs) I block thousands. (laughs) No, so so Gus is on record. Look, the Bulldogs were interested in Mitchell Moses. Late last year, Cameron Serraldo took him out for dinner and chatted to him when it looked like he was going to leave the Parramatta Reels. But, look, Gus has run out of money. You've seen all the players you've signed. He hasn't got $1.2 million for a halfback. Now that Stephen Crichton's on board, he's also got Bronson Cherry, he's got Reed Marnie, he's got Billy Kickow, he's upgraded Burton. So they just don't have the brass. So, look, it's a two-horse race now, but I'm very, very confident, guys, that within... Hopefully this week, Mitchell Moses will recommit to the Parramatta Reels on a contract of about four and a half million over four years. And um, he's 27 years of age. Um, might even sign another one after that. But I think we're going to get some really, really good news for Eels fans. He'll be there um, with Dylan Brown in the halves, the, the pairing that took them to the grand final last year. And uh, yeah, really, really exciting news for the Eels. Not long now, Buzz. What, four and a half weeks? Yeah, I said, mate, 31 sleeps to go, eh? And, and you know, having clubs like Canterbury in the in the news and, and St George, two Sydney clubs that have been down on their luck in recent years, it's really important that, you know, they come good. And interesting thing, this time last year, where did you have the Cowboys finishing last year, Loz? I had them 16th. Uh, I would have had them in the bottom four for sure. Yeah, so what I'm saying is there will be a team that will come out of the pack again, um, out of the bottom pack. And look, I don't think it's going to be the Dolphins. I don't think it's going to be the Warriors or the Knights. But, or who knows what the West Tigers are going to do? Who knows? What is Bateman on a plane yet? Sorry? Is Bateman on a plane yet? I looked on social media last night. And he hasn't blocked me either, Clarky. Um, <laughs> he was he was having a beer in England last night, from yeah, what here. I saw. So. Okay. I don't, Clarky. Tell me why they can't look. I don't know the v. I don't know what's happened with his visa. I don't understand it. 
Look, you know what? Most NRL clubs have the connections at government levels mm. and lobbyists. Even the NRL have got contacts who can make things like this happen. Yeah. Well, they had the same drama with Tim Sheens, though, didn't they, Loz? They've, didn't Tim Sheens got delayed two weeks as well? Coming yeah, back. yeah, he was Actually, out, yeah, mate. Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't know, I don't know what the lobby is. The, the Tigers, someone's got to sit against the Tigers. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Lodge, they tell me Bulldog was very concerned about my performance yesterday. Uh, well, he actually spoke to me at about ten past ten yesterday morning. And he yeah. said he's got nothing to worry about. <laughs> oh, difficult dog. Maybe <laughs> rang me and said I went good. Oh, well, <laughs> mate, I'm telling you, behind your back, look out. Yeah, good idea. Good on you, Typical Buzz. Typical bulldog. Thanks, Buzz. <laughs> See you, guys. Talk next week. And late in the first quarter of the NFC Championship game, the Philadelphia Eagles are up 7-0 over the San Francisco 49ers, and it's been a dreadful start personnel-wise for the Niners as well. They're currently on their fourth quarterback in their roster, Josh Johnson, after Brock Purdy loss. Uh, he, well, he had a pass which initially was ruled incomplete, but it was found then to just be a fumble, and it was recovered by the Eagles, but... In the midst of the play, it looks like he's suffered an elbow or an arm injury, so he's off the field. They've had some of their big names uh, get injured in this game already, uh, Mido. Bosa's uh, picked up a bit of an injury. Uh, Warner picked up a bit of an injury. And now you've got your quarterback sitting on the sideline, even though the, the Eagles have possession at the moment. But it's a big game, isn't it, for a young rookie quarterback? And then you've got your fourth stringer out there at the moment. And... Um, they're in control. They look to be in control. Yeah, or you wouldn't... If you've got money on the 49ers, it's going to be a tough watch probably, I think, now. Mm. But uh, still, they've got enough stars on that team to, to come up with something special. But uh, Philly in control at the moment, 7 nothing. We've got Roger Rashid coming up shortly after Novak Djokovic secured his 10th Australian Open title last night. Uh, just in the FA Cup this morning, uh, well, overnight... Uh, we saw Liverpool beaten by Brighton, courtesy of a late goal. So 2-1 Brighton. Uh, Wrexham and Sheffield United 3-3. Stoke beat Stevenage 3-1. That's fourth round action in the FA Cup. Now, in the golf, uh, the Dubai Desert Classic. Now, this has been delayed due to rain. So the final round will be tonight. And heading into that final round, Rory McIlroy leads by three shots. He's 15 under par. And he leads a couple of Englishmen, Callum Shinkwin and Dan Bradbury, who are 12 under. Best of the Aussies here, Lucas Herbert, who's 10 under par and five shots off the pace. Uh, Now, the Farmers Insurance Open on the PGA Tour, that was a Wednesday to Saturday event in the US. So that's all done and dusted. Jason Day finished tied for seventh and eight under par for the tournament. Five shots off the winner, Max Homer. Uh, the American 13-under and a two-stroke win for him ahead of Keegan Bradley. Morning, Rog. Morning, guys. How are we? Yeah, really well, thank you. And again, uh, the debate, uh, I guess, is in full swing again. Who's the greatest of all time after Novak? Tied or levelled with Rafael Nadal on 22 Grand Slam uh, titles after his 10th Australian Open win last night. But just how impressive was this triumph, particularly considering what was going on, well, what went on last year in him uh, being kicked out of the country, essentially, and uh, again, with what was going on off the court this this year? Yeah, look, I think if you if you rewind 12 months ago and, and 
think about put yourself in those shoes and think where you're you're landing and and obviously the circumstances we don't need to, to debate them and, and why they came about but just the fact you were, you went through that I guess that trauma and then coming back and not knowing what we you're going to get um, and we know Novak you know he keeps a lot keeps it all close to to his to himself and his team and um, I think those that sort of emotion, emotional energy that you needed to accept and embrace and then and then go out and play and obviously he had one thing in mind and that was to dominate the Australian summer um, which he which he's done now and uh, you know we saw it in Adelaide he was you know he was really you know there were some emotions there in Adelaide uh, for sure the very first match he played um, big support there Serbian support and then um, and then obviously in Melbourne uh, you know what he's what he's done he's only dropped two sets. Uh, you know, out of 33 um, in the Australian summer, so it's, it's quite an amazing. Yeah, it is. It is an amazing feat, and just in sport in general, to think someone you know you're you're individually going out to do this, not in a team. As far as like you can't get help out there, uh, just to put, do that all at once was uh, yeah. It was, it was a pretty epic four weeks, I think, for him, and which he acknowledged obviously. Surely, even his doubters, Rog, you, you got to respect his performances on the court, and his record's phenomenal. He's got time on his side compared to, you know, Nadal, for example. Surely, statistically, he's going to he's going to own everything, really. So he's yeah, got, he's, got he's definitely got to be in the conversation for, you know, for, for, for greatest ever at some stage. You'd think by the end of his career. Yeah, look, I think he'll sit there for sure. I don't think there's any doubt about it um, because he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, if you watch him last night, I mean, he's going to control the, he's going to own the numbers. Yeah. So the numbers are going to be, and I think he wants to put a gap within the numbers yeah. and to say so there's no, so don't even, don't even argue the point. You know, he's virtually here I am. Don't even argue the point. This is these are the numbers, and there and there's quite a gap in front of him. So, but I think when you, you know, you watch last night. And you're watching that match, and you know the only ways you know I think we've discussed the only ways you you know someone could actually beat Novak is if you're, if you're a disruptor, which Sitsipas is, big serve. Uh, he's got a, you know he's got a forehand which is explosive, very athletic. But then you put him up against Novak, and look what happened last night. There was you know he shuts you down, and even though Sitsipas had a couple of moments in the in the tie break, in both tie breaks, he had momentum in the second tie break. What he couldn't do was swing freely and go after it and let it all fly. Whereas Novak in the big moments when they're really there, he can play this lockdown game where he a he won't make unforced errors and b when it's there to be hit and there he'll hit it with purpose and and really take take control of the of the situation. So he doesn't hesitate, and we saw a lot of hesitation uh, from Sitsipas, you know, in a you know, in a big big event, obviously. But if you're going to beat the greats, uh, you've got a you've got a red line and go after it. You can't, you know, they don't actually make mistakes and give them to you. So. Yeah, and then you look at the rest of the field and say, how do you beat him? And, well, he's gone through the rest of the field and you've got to play that exceptional tennis in a, in a major for the four hours um, and not just an hour of tennis or an hour and a half. So yeah, it's, it's in, pretty incredible to watch. Uh, there's no doubt about that. You've got to just, whether you, whether you like Novak or you don't, it's not, he's not one of your favourites. You've, you've got to take your hat off to just his, I guess, the resilience and, and just his ability also. Just looking at him, Rog, at the moment, how many more years do you think he's got left in him? Oh, uh, it's a good question, Lars. I think, um, at le- you know, he's, you feel like he can play for another, you know, he's another... Well, he's doing it easy. Three to four, three to four years, yeah. I mean, the, only, the one thing that, obviously you guys all know that 
the minute you lose your enthusiasm for the competitive battle, uh, uh, the minute you lose in tennis the enthusiasm for packing your stuff up, jumping on planes, jumping off planes, even though you can do it in, in style with, that he does, the minute you, you lose a little bit of your movement, if you, you know, if you're, all of a sudden your body's not, not right, because he relies, you know, one of his big weapons is his ability to move, move defensively, turn that into offence, all those sort of things. So the minute you lose one of those three things, it gets a little tougher. And then, and then so, so I think we're looking for those signs. Uh, none of those are there at the moment. So you just think, you know, in the next few years, I'm sure he's, you know, he's got to, you know, he puts it out there. He wants the numbers and he wants to be the, he wants to, he wants to put some distance. So, yeah, at least two to three years, you would think. But, you know, sport can change pretty quickly mm. with your body and your mind, can't it? The women's final was a thriller, really. Arena Sabalenka had to come from a set down to beat the Wimbledon champion Elena Rybakina. Uh, what do you make of her performance, the Belarusian? That was well pronounced, too, Ben. Um, <laughs> a, a tricky one. Uh, it was it was a great performance. I mean, talking about talking about some resilience in a, in a different way. You know, Sabalenka last year was had, had the serving hips, and then she opens up as uh, she comes to Australia. She wins in Adelaide for the, uh, this year. Hasn't won a tournament in two years. Big ball striker. She's hitting the ball as big as Sitsipas was um, off his off his forehand. So just to give you viewers a bit of an insight on on her ball speed and the striking that she can she impacts on the ball, um, and then she opens up the women's final with a double fault. So uh, but she smiles that one off and then serves an ace following and holds her serve, loses the first set to get herself back into that and actually stay the course and and actually increase her ball striking uh, when she had the opportunity was. Uh, was was amazing as well. It's a great story for it because she's she's a she's a great young lady who's had to deal with a lot. Her father passed away three years ago. She's dealt with that, um, and then she's put herself in this space where she's had to. She trusted her team. Her coach wanted to leave. Said he didn't have anything else to offer last year. You know because of because it wasn't wasn't happening. And uh, she told him to stay. No, it's not your it's not your problem. You know, I'll, I'll, I need to work this out, and uh, we'll work it out together. And uh, they get, she gets through, and uh, you know, she she wins her first major. So uh, against real quality opposition, real quality opposition. Sometimes you can get a you get a major final where you know you've got someone who's come in and, and in, uh, entering a major final that's uh, a bit of an outlier. But she played quality opposition, the Grand Slam champion, and um, had to get it done from behind, which is actually a big effort. We did win some silverware, though. Rods, the men's double pairing. Yeah, how good was that? that you know, when you when you uh, when you those guys, Hitch Carter and and uh, and Kubler, and you you decide to you, t- you decide to put you know team up, and you, you you've got a good vibe and your mates, and you can have a laugh together, and so you enjoy joy being out there and you play a solid game of tennis both of them have no real weaknesses as far as in a, on a doubles court they can uh, you don't need the biggest serve um, you don't need the biggest ground strokes and yeah, to step out and win that and the, the way they won it if you haven't seen their match point um, YouTube it it's a it's a pretty cool way to win, <laughs> win a major um, and, a, and now they're you know you don't you don't always not everyone can win a singles major not everyone can get to the second week of a singles of a of a major event the Grand Slam and uh, but to do it through doubles and have that experience, it can only help your singles because you're, you've got, you know, you've got a bit of momentum, and so uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty exciting. After the um, the Kyrgios and Kokonakis won the previous year, yeah, it was good for them. Really enjoyed it. Rog, really enjoyed your contributions to us over the last couple of weeks as well. Thanks so much, and uh, I hope you get a bit of a breast now. 
No, it's all good. We had over 900,000 people turn up to the tennis, so it was pretty epic. So uh, it was a good year when they, when you thought, OK, when all the superstars of the games are, are retiring and moving away, what does it look like? I think the next wave is going to be exciting, and that was, uh, well, but they've still, got, they've still got one person to get rid of first, and well, maybe two. Uh, we'll see what happens with Nadal through 23. Thanks so much, mate. See you, boys. Yeah, every chance we could have an Aussie in the Super Bowl here. Jordan Mailata of uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, 7 nothing up against San Francisco. Calling it very early, though, Loz, this but it's all nightmare. going wrong for the 49ers, isn't it? Jeez. Oh, gee, I mean, uh, you... Lost their quarterback, lost Nick Bosa, their best defensive player. Yeah. Couldn't have started worse, mm. the 49ers. But they are Still only seven, days. seven points down, but... From what we've been watching here in the studio, Philly are all over. Uh, and uh, that's Candace from the Central West on the text line saying an offensive lineman who is Oz, an Aussie in the Super Bowl, amazing effort, sportsman of the year, says Candace. Well, we won't. We, there's a few people on the text line. Jono from Mudgee as well going off early saying this is all done and dusted. But uh, they're too good a side, I think, just to write off yet. But, gee, it's a big ask for the 49ers from here. But uh, we've got... Uh, Ali Mosley from Sky Racing joining us, who uh, wasn't on on Friday, but did give us a tip at the Sunshine Coast. Which one, for those who followed? (laughs) Ali, morning to you, and thanks again on behalf of those who did follow you in. Good morning, guys. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm pleased with that one. I've been following him for a little while, and I just thought, I think it looks too good for him today, and if I jump off now, I'll be sick, despite the fact that he was a little bit short, and I thought, he's a good one. He's the one we'll go with. (laughs) First in line, wasn't it? Was that the name of the horse? first in line. Yep, at the sunny coast. I said Caloundra, I think, but I forget. I meant sunny coast. (laughs) Yeah, sunny coast there. That's right. A big Greek hero there in that race. I saw that on Saturday. So thank you for that one, Ali. But uh, let's focus on what we saw there at Rose Hill on Saturday, and let's start with the Cannonbury and Red Resistance uh, beating, well, King's Gambit, of course, uh, was the shock going down at very short odds. What did you make of it all? Uh, so I followed Red Resistance for a little while because um, we went to visit him when he was a baby at uh, Newgate Farm with Caddy Mellian because she rode him. And, um, oh, wrote, sorry, rode heavily. And so we wanted to go and see her, and we saw him, and we've got the cutest little video of him um, on my phone. He was so cheeky. And he had so much spunk about him and, and personality. So, you know, those horses you always sort of follow and keep an eye on their journey. So I was I was so pleased with his performance. I thought it was super. Um, King's Gambit, I know, had the big rap on him. But I just think at this stage, you know, of the two-year-olds where we're still a little bit away from, from the big ones, anything can happen. And I think that's exactly what we saw on the weekend. But I don't think you can write Red Resistance off. I think he's got... Um, plenty more to come and he's just a, a super, he's strong he's got a lot of size and substance about him and I think all honours with him and he's got the breeding on his side as well What about the two year old filly that won the Widden Stakes learning to fly? Oh, super, so, so super um, and by Justify too I did, but I tell you what, I did not think that these Justifies would get up and run this early. I, I did when I saw them at the early two-year-old trials just on their physicals, but I didn't think um, just being by Justify that they would be as early as they have been. But she showed she's going to be a serious contender in the major two-year-old races. It was just such a gutsy performance to win the win stakes on debut. And her sectionals suggested that she worked the entire journey, yet she still finished off the last 211-3, that's a sectional comparable to the first three Colts in the Canterbury. 
So that, if you're going off sectional, suggests that she's a very talented filly. And I know last year the, the fillies came to the fore in all the two-year-old races, and I think we arguably had a stronger crop of fillies than colts. And I can't see why that's not the case again this year. The likes of Platinum Jubilee, Summer Lovin', now learning to fly, putting her hand up. So it just sort of shapes the picture a little bit more. But I think I'm with the girls this year again. Uh Spacewalk, a nice win there, was heavily supported, uh, winning for Godolphin and Reese Jones there on uh, Saturday. What do you think, well, where to now for, for Spacewalk? He's obviously got a lot of ability. He should, I mean, on on his ability and his, his form as a two-year-old, he should have outclassed those horses. So I think if we hadn't seen him win on Saturday um, in that grade, it would have almost been, I think, a bit of a pen job for him. But, I mean, I think he'll probably have a ceiling and he still does a few, sort of still does a few things wrong now back as a gelding, but I think he'll um, he'll just improve into the preparation and hopefully still settle a little bit better. Even when he heads out on the track, he kind of shoots off and still races, I think, a little bit um, doing things wrong. So I think we'll see improvement from him, but I just wonder whether he does maybe have a ceiling to a certain extent. What were your thoughts on the expressway? Uh, you know, I actually backed Starburetta in the midway and I was sitting in between rounds because I was show jumping all weekend and we were up in the old grand, the, the Maria showground, yeah. and I was screaming and everyone was looking at me like I was a complete <laughs> lunatic. So I backed, I should have, she was the one I should have tipped actually on, on radio because I thought, oh, I just reckon, but when I saw her in the yard, I watched her pre-prade and I thought she's so relaxed today. She's just an absolute ripper. So anyway, I backed Starburetta, so I was pretty... <laughs> pretty happy with myself um but the expressway far out maria Mayer was in our black book actually um the show that ben and i do on on the week um on thursday it was she was in there maria Mayer. but joe pride is low level and not even low level but i feel like sometimes he doesn't get the accolades that he deserves but he is absolutely flying at the moment and she was somewhat i guess overlooked in the market i suppose there was just this massive wrap on golden mile and nothing really else took a chance but no, that was a super win from her and, and all credit to her, definitely. Uh, what are we following or sacking out of the weekend? Oh, there's a few that I'll be sacking, I think, but I'm <laughs> going to follow again. And I think we followed him in the past, but super pursuit. Um, how, many, how long can you sort of back him for and have a few unlucky runs? But he got back in a slowly run race, but he scorched home the last 600 in 33.05 and the final 200 in 11.15. He's fit now. And I think winning form is just around the corner, which I think the market will find as well. I've also found one, I think, out of the highway for Danny Sibe, who is just just such a gun trainer. I've got so much respect for her. Uh, in the same race as, in the, sorry, in the same race as Eastern Glow one, who I think we could follow because we'll be better than highway company. But Amaranth was very good in finishing fifth. She covered plenty of extra territory and she came home and recorded the third best last 600, second best last 200 of the event. So... Again, the sectionals rated really favourably compared to higher class races on the day. So I think Amaranth is the one that will follow out of the highway as well. Ali, thanks so much again. We'll chat later in the week. Thanks, guys.